Am I on? Yeah, good. Thank you for reading that, Steve. Thank you for leading us with the music. It was a bit like a Barnack get-together. I think over the years, you've all played at Barnack and you've been a great blessing to me in my ministry as, uh, as a musician. So it's good to be with you. And it's good to be here. It's really good to be amongst friends. Um, you know this is a church that I hold dear to my heart and you've played a very important part in my journey uh, becoming a minister and you've supported me over the years. Uh, it's 20 years now since I first came into this church and I want to thank you. Um, I don't know what the gift is but thank you for the gift and thank you for the privilege of inviting me to walk with you as your moderator during that time of interregnum. We, of course, are going to be delighted to be welcoming Brian in a couple of weeks as your new minister, and I'm going to be looking forward to watching, uh, not closely, you know, I'll be a bit further afar, but watching how God will bless Breton Baptist Church as you discover together with Brian the wonderful plans that God has to bless you, to bless Breton, to bless Peterborough, and to bless um, God's world through what he's going to be doing here. And it's my prayer that this church will be a godly agent of change. Um, it's, that's what we're all called to be, godly agents of change. That people's lives will be transformed, that communities will be changed as a direct result of what God is doing here in and through you all. And it is my prayer that you will continue to worship together and continue to journey together as a worshipping community, encouraging and strengthening each other in the power of God's Holy Spirit and directing and offering your praise and worship to him. And so this morning I have come with a message. It is a bit of a mixed message. It's a message of stewardship and worship generosity. I'm going to be talking about generosity and giving to God's work as a key part of our worship to God. So it's giving and worship. And in the words that have just been read to us, Steve, thank you for that, in the words that the Apostle Paul used, um, to make our worship, to make our offerings a fragrant offering to God. Now I'm not going to unpack the Philippians text um, I wish I had time. I'd love to do about a three-sermon series on that text. It's a fantastic text. But I want to talk about worship and how our giving is part of worship. So let me talk to you about worship first. Have you ever wondered what true and proper worship is? I hope you have. We should always be thinking, what is true and proper worship? And we are reminded by Christ in Matthew 22, 37, that worship is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And in Romans 12, verse 1, Paul echoes that when he tells us, and he uses the words true and proper worship, that it is an offering of, a whole, of our whole self as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. And going back to the Philippians 4 that has just been read, when we do that, it becomes a fragrant offering to God. Fantastic, isn't it, that? A fragrant offering to God. Those are words that echo 
the Old Testament sacrificial burnt offerings that we are consistently told throughout the Old Testament as we read it were an aroma pleasing to the Lord. But we live under the new covenant. Christ has made that final sacrifice. And thank you for those, those prayers that were coming through with sort of echoing what I want to what I want to say. I think you were praying, Ray, about that, about how Christ gave up everything. Christ has made that final sacrifice. The aroma of the last burnt offering of the ox has gone. That aroma is no more. So how do we send up our fragrant offerings that are pleasing, that aroma that is pleasing to God? Well, we do it by connecting our hearts to God's heart. By inviting God's Holy Spirit into our lives to transform us, to equip us, to enable us to be the people that God created us to be. We're invited to be God's heirs, we're invited to be God's co-workers in his amazing mission project to make his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And when we give ourselves fully to that, it is an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Being God's co-workers requires us to be immersed in God and to be prepared to worship him all the time. 24-7. Worship is not constrained by time and space. The narrowest view of worship I come across is that half an hour of singing on a Sunday morning. That's the narrowest view of worship you can have. It is only a tiny fraction of the worship that we are to be offering to God. If I can show you a um, sunset, a, a, um, a beautiful, not a sunset, it was, um, sorry, I'm muttering, it was a sunset. See, sometimes when we're out and we see something beautiful, that is our prompt to worship God. On Christmas Eve, the family and I were um, out walking on Beacon Hill. Anybody who knows the Loughborough area, it's this sort of big hill up above Loughborough. And we got to the end of the day, and we are going back to the car, and the sunset was just so beautiful that um, an amateur photographer like me, I had, to, I had to run up to the top of the hill, and I had to take the picture with my camera because it was just fantastic. And I have not done it justice. I've not done this it justice. But it seemed like the whole of creation was crying out to God, God, we love you, thank you. You've painted this for our pleasure. And on the picture, you can see there's two birds. And I stood and I watched, and those birds, I promise you, were dancing. They were just dancing in the joy of that moment. And my heart was lifted too. And what a moment to worship and praise God. God, you are amazing. You are the creator of the universe. You are awesome. You've done this for us. We praise you. Thank you. And all of that was done without singing. Or when we attempted to do something, another way of worshipping God is when we're tempted to do something that we know is not pleasing to God, that will upset God, and we turn away from that. We are worshipping God. We are making our bodies a living sacrifice. But I do want to say very clearly that coming together on a Sunday morning is important. When we gather as God's people like now, this is a special 
occasion of significance. Where two or three are gathered, I will be there also with you, is what Jesus said. Sunday corporate worship is very important as we gather collectively to worship the living God. And if I use a meal analogy for worship, Sunday is the time we gather for a celebration meal. Different ingredients, different flavours are blended together. It is when the whole family gather for a meal. You know, I don't know about your family, but some of, my, some of the, the young ones in our family, they're like a McDonald's Happy Meal. Uh, some of the older ones, the more sophisticated types, probably people like you, like a candlelit meal, candlelit dinner. Others just want beans on toast, whatever. Right? But when we come together as a family, not one of us dominates that. So Christmas Day, we gather as a family. We don't have a Happy Meal. We don't have a candlelit meal. We just gather. And we share. And... We have something that everybody can access. And yeah, the table's a bit messy because the high chair doesn't fit in properly. But who cares? And the lovely table setting that we would dearly like in a moment is sort of obliterated when we pull the crackers and there's a mess everywhere. It's untidy. But we gather together as a family, enjoying each other's company. And that is what it should be like when we come together on a Sunday morning. It should be messy. Should be messy. Shouldn't be perfect. You know, it shouldn't be. It's not about excellence. It's about giving of our best. Okay. And if you give your best and it's not excellent by someone else's standards, who cares? You're giving of your best and it's excellent to God and God filters all of that. Even when I'm singing, I'm rubbish. I'm rubbish. I apologise to anybody who's near me, but God filters that when my heart is in the right place. And to God, it is like the angels singing when I am connected with, with him in worship, when I am giving my heart to him. We gather together, the event is blended into something special because of the occasion. And healthy worship should be a combination of music, of singing, of silence, of prayer, of intercession, of confession, of adoration, of dancing maybe. Painting, maybe, reading God's word, preaching, sharing the Lord's Supper, gathering together to celebrate baptisms. And very, very importantly, it's not an add-on, it's not a bolt-on, bringing our offerings. Bringing our offerings, bringing what we want to give to God is key and a part and a very important part of worship. And it is not subservient to the singing part of worship. It's part of what we are to do. And on behalf of all ministers, on behalf of all service leaders, I want to apologise for all those occasions that I have done when I have given out the impression that worship equals singing. I've had time of prayer, get to the end of prayer and say, right now we're going to have a time of worship. What? What were you doing when you were praying? It's not a time of worship. It's all worship. We're going to have a time of singing. A different way to worship God. An alternative way to worship God. So I want to apologise for the times that I've done that. And I hope as a church and all the other people who are involved in the singing and the music can just try and get away from that thinking that this is worship. And that when you're not doing that, it's not worship. It's all worship. One of the most beautiful acts of worship in the New Testament 
is recorded in chapter 26 of Matthew's Gospel. And there was no singing. Matthew tells us about a woman who has an alabaster jar of perfume, pure nard. It's worth about a year's wages. And this woman takes that alabaster um, jar, she cracks it open, she anoints the head of Jesus. She just pours it all over Jesus in an extravagant outpouring of love and worship. And then the disciples, particularly Judas, has a go. Hey, whoa, all that could have been sold, you know. We could have fed the poor with that money. What on earth are you doing? Stop it. And Jesus said, no, no. What this woman has done is beautiful. She was worshipping Jesus. And I think it's a significant act. A few days later, Christ is crucified. We sang that song, Cast My Mind to Calvary. Let's do that. Let's cast our mind to Calvary. Jesus, a few days later, was crucified. He makes the ultimate offering on our behalf. He doesn't just give up his money or possessions. He gives up his own life. How, does, how is that described in, the, in Ephesians 5? It is described as a fragrant offering of love. Christ does that to put us right with God. And he's taken to Calvary. And it is a place of filth, of garbage, excrement, execution. His friends have deserted him. He is nailed to a cross. The creator of the universe, the saviour of the universe, dies all alone. Hanging there. Gives his life for us, but he's there hanging all alone. But not quite. As the sweat and blood trickle into his eyes, his vision is blurred. As the feeling goes out of his hands and feet, because we have natural, um, natural things in our body that just takes away, dulls things. The feeling would have been going out of his body. The sense of feeling going. His taste buds are blunted by the wine vinegar. His hearing is attacked by the abuse of the scoffers. But there's one of his senses that brings comfort. Cutting through the horror of that scene is the penetrating, pleasing aroma of extravagant, sacrificial worship and love. Cutting through the horror, cutting through the stench, is the sweet smell of nard. It was only a few days earlier that she'd anointed him. So expensive is nard. The reason why it's expensive is the perfume stays. The sweet smell of nard penetrates that situation as a reminder of that woman's love and worship. Did Christ die alone? No. I believe the woman's worship was speaking into the situation. Jesus, I love you. Thank you for what you are doing for me. Is how that spoke. Isn't that amazing? 
Isn't that amazing that that woman's worship was a comfort to Christ on the cross? And I believe that our extravagant worship also finds its way to the cross. Particularly when our own worship is a sacrifice and it becomes part of the pleasing, fragrant offering that connects us to Christ and what he did for each one of us. Our sacrificial, generous worship is saying, thank you, Jesus. We love you. Thank you for going through the pain of the cross. We love you. So I want to talk about how we may worship God, how we may worship Jesus with our finances and make this a fragrant offering to him. Our modern society is built on financial security. And it is understandable if we are all caught up in that. We're going to be caught up in it. But God has blessed us all enormously. Every one of us here. We are the, um, the most affluent, irrespective of where you are, we are the most affluent generation that has ever lived. Those who lived just maybe in the 50s. You know, a rich person in the 50s. The richest person in your street in the 50s would now be classed as the poorest person in your street in the 2020s. God blesses us. There is no such thing as a self-made man or woman because everything we have comes from God. And God is interested in how we use 100% of all that we have and all that he has blessed us with. And we are to use it wisely. And in this book, there is lots and lots of teaching about it. Uh, in my own ministry, I've tried to infuse a lot of my teaching with teaching on money. Because it's consistently in there. You don't have to search for teaching on money. It's consistently in God's word. Some of our money can be used legitimately to enjoy God's blessings. Nice cars, holidays, clothes, homes, they're fine. As long as we give the glory to God for the source of them. Some can be used legitimately to save for retirement and future needs. We are to look after our families. It tells us that in the Gospels. And God sometimes provides for our needs in advance. So we must not squander that. We must be wise with his provision. Some is to be used generously through hospitality, through gifts and looking after our family and others who are needy, supporting charities, sponsoring children, whatever that might be. And some is to be given back to God to fund God's work and God's church as part of our worship. It's a primary responsibility of us all is to fund God's work in God's church as part of our worship. And even though everything that we have comes from God, I, I have been blessed, I know that, because I've got a skill set that is no better than your skill set, but this stupid world values my skill set more than it values a nurse's skill set. So I was paid more money. Not, I'm not clever about that, it just happened. So ev everything I have comes from God. You know, the whatever makeup that allows you to do things comes from God. 
And we are to give a percentage back to him. God trusts us with the lot, but he wants us to give a percentage back to him. Not because he needs our cash, that's ridiculous. That the creator of the universe needs our cash to balance the books. No. God allows us the privilege of blessing him and worshipping him with what we bring back. It is a privilege. It's a privilege. And your finances are an acid test of where your heart is. Where, where and how you use your money is a window into your heart. It says this in the Bible. For the love of money is the root of all kind of evil. Not money. Money's okay. It's the love of money. Jesus said you can't serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. Money is to be our servant, not our master. Money is there to serve us. Money is to do what we tell the money to do. But I know loads and loads and loads of people who are slaves to money. They've got that relationship the wrong way around. No. Money is to be our servants. And we are to be God's servants. Luke 12, 3, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. As part of our journey of faith, worship and discipleship, and part of our ongoing trusting and surrendering to God, we are to pay particular attention to how we worship God with our finances. Financial principles that we are taught in the Bible are as follows. Firstly, we should give to God first. Our giving to God should not be from what is left over. We give on the first day of the week. The first day of the week is payday in modern parlance. And we are to look at that and decide what we are to give to God. Not, right, after I've paid the mortgage, after I've done the school fees, after we've done this, after we've paid for the car lease, after we've done that, after we've done that, what have I got left? <coughs> there you go, God. No. It comes out first. And then everything else falls in around it. Give to God first. Make that a priority. Secondly, our giving should be in proportion to our resources. The Old Testament speaks of tithing. That is giving a tenth. In a minute, someone's going to say, he's not going to speak about tithing, is he? Oh, No. Don't speak about tithing. Don't you know, Graham, we live under grace? You know, let's not have any of this sort of heresy talked about tithing. We live under grace now. Well, we do. But Christ himself, under the new covenant of grace, affirmed the principle of tithing. I don't know how many times I've heard tithing is not in the New Testament. I don't know if you've heard that. Has that ever been said to you? Yeah? No, that's me. Christ himself affirmed tithing. Matthew 23, 23, if you want to look it up. We're, not, we're told not to neglect the tithe. But the tithe is not to be worn as a badge of honour. There is no space for, hey, look at me, I give my tithe. No space for thinking it earns our salvation. The tithe is a good benchmark. But it's not the amount, rather it's the proportion. The widow was commended for putting in two pennies. Some of the most generous people I know in church are those who put in the least amount, but it's a significant proportion. 
some of the least generous people in church, maybe some of the stingiest, might be putting in the bigger amounts, but actually they could put in quite a lot more. And so we are to give a tithe. It's there. We can give more, but it's a good principle, and um, I've never heard a good, sound reason for not doing it. And thirdly, we're to give generously. Giving is part of our discipleship journey. It's been said, if you want to know the heart of a person, if you want to know what's important to them, look at their bank statements. If you gave me your bank statements, and we put them up here, who would want us to do that? Put the bank statements up there, the credit card bills, and we all know what's important to you. What does your bank statement say about you? And so my final message to you as your moderator, I might be invited back, who knows, but not as your moderator, I implore you to use your finances to worship God as a fragrant, sacrificial offering. This church here in Breton wants to do amazing things to serve God's purposes, to serve God's kingdom, but we're short of cash. Well, the church is short of cash. We're not short of cash. There's just a blockage between where God has put it and where it needs to go. God has called each and every one of us to be part of this church. It's going to be exciting. There's going to be good things happening. And so I implore you to prayerfully and openly before God review your finances. Gift aid and all of that. Just take a form back with you. Review your finances with your partner, with your spouse, if you're not married, with yourself, before God. And just ask God, what are you calling me to give in order to bless the church. Bring your offerings as a fragrant financial offering into the church and watch God's blessings flow. Not necessarily over your personal finances. This is not a prosperity gospel message. But watch God's blessings flow over this church, over this community when people step up to the mark with their finances and their financial offerings. So may your lives be an offering of worship to God. And may your generosity towards God work in this church as a fragrant offering to him. Amen. I'm going to invite the um, band.